G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. On a Saturday, we used to drive into the project area and we would set up on a a big football area. My job was to write the program that was going to be presented to the families. And I thought, oh, well, we'll get a band together. So I got some people that could, you know, play guitars and the whole thing went down like a lead balloon. It was just awful. The story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today we have part two of our conversation with Jenny Flack, who's been entertaining Australian children with her Christian music for over 30 years. Last time, Jenny shared that when she was a young mother of three little boys, she wrote a song for them to help them remember their own phone number. And that was how it all began. That was how she started writing and performing her songs for children that has taken her all over the world, including, as we'll hear today, the United States. Last time, Jenny also shared about the profound impact her music has had on some of her young listeners. And we'll begin today with another story of a young life that was touched by her music. Once again, Jenny Flack is chatting with Eric Scatterbo. a letter that came from a a lady and she said that her son's favourite song was Song for Anthony, which I think I mentioned Mm, a bit earlier. And she said he loves that song. And she said, I would really love for you to come and sing like live. And I was thinking, what? (laughs) You know, why? Why? Yeah. She said, my son is only six years old and he was crossing Flemington Road in Melbourne and got hit by a car Mm. and he became a ventilator-dependent quadriplegic. Mm. We are a very musical family and we have regular sing-song nights and there is one coming up in a few weeks and we were wondering if you would come and sing a song for Anthony to our son, Anthony. And I thought, whoa, um, am I going to be able to do this, you Mm, know? But I said, yes, I would love to. So the day came, I drove to their place in Flemington, and here was this little boy. He was the same age as my son, mm. my youngest son. He was six. Mm-hmm. And he was in this big machine and it, it held his head because he couldn't even, he couldn't even control his head and mm. a big ventilator thing on the back of the chair that breathed 
for him. Mm. And it would give him a breath, and then he was able to, with that one breath that was given to him by the machine, he was able to make a sentence. And he was saying to me how much he loved the song, and he wanted me to sing it, Mm. and he wanted to sing if he could. Well... I prayed like you have no idea. I was yes. saying, oh, Lord Jesus, please give me the strength and the power of this dear little boy. Mm. I could only think of my own son, uh, thinking, please, yeah. Lord, help me. Help me to sing this song without breaking down. I just want to do a really good job for this little fella. Mm-hmm. So I said to him, of course, I'll, I will do it for you. I'll, I'll sing for you, Anthony. Now, he didn't sing with me. I don't know why he didn't try or whatever, but his little eyes were just glued to me as I sang mm. song for Anthony. And I sang it so well. I was so wrapped that I did such a good job with it, you know, and mm-hmm. I thank you, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. I didn't cry, you know, and I sang it with all of my Mm. heart. And his family was so wrapped, you know, absolutely wrapped. (laughs) It was wonderful. So, you know, that's a special memory that I have with the ministry. And um, another time, these are letters that I I get, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this letter that came also from a mother, And she said she wanted me to know something very, very special and very, very personal. She had one of the albums that had a song on it called Angel Rage. And uh, it's uh, it's how, you know, we're going to a party, you know, and heaven's bells will be ringing and angels are singing and that, you know, they... They have a, a party when one of us turns around to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yep. And anyway, she said that it was her son's favorite song. He was eight years old and he too had cancer. He mm. was very sick and he used to lie on the couch and his mum had put the, the, you know, things in his ears so he could listen to music that way. And he used to get to the end of the song and he'd then stop it and he'd rewind it and he'd play it again hmm. and he'd hit the button, rewind <laughs> it, play it again with Angel Rage. He loved this song. And he said, Mum, he said, the angels are going to give me a party. Hmm. When I get there, I'm going to have an angel party. And she finished by telling me that, you know, her son had passed away, but she wanted me to know that when he took his last breath, he was listening to that song, oh, Angel wow. Rage. We're going to a party. It's not a birthday party. The seven bells will be ringing, the angels will sing, and they'll be kicking up their heels for joy. I can't think of anything that would be more gratifying as a performer to know that your your music, your creations are ministering to people and helping them get closer to the Lord. Oh, absolutely. Mm. I was never interested in becoming famous. I was never interested in money, in making money. But I love to sing 
mm-hmm. and I love to make a difference in people's lives. That to me is is worth a million dollars. You know. Yeah. Have you ever seen an angel party on? Have you ever seen an angel rage? Well, there's music, laughter, noise to lift the rafters. Music, laughter, noise to lift the rafters. For about twenty five years, you were making albums, going around Australia performing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and. I mean, I still do it, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. I choose. <laughs> but you were kind of the children's artist, Christian children's artist of Australia for a long time. Uh, yes, I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. Then there came more children's ministers came mm-hmm. behind me yep. after that. But you blazed um, the trail. You were the pioneer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. When I, I moved to America. Why um, did you move to the U.S.? In 1995, we moved to America because my husband got a job over there, mm-hmm. and we moved to Nashville. And, the home uh, of Christian music in oh, the U.S. Oh, yeah, yep. that's right. Yep. <laughs> Bible Belt. Yep, yep. <laughs> yep. So I had an American sub-publisher uh, who was distributing my music. They were distributing my music throughout America. Mm-hmm. My husband, myself, and my youngest son, uh, we were the ones that moved. By that stage, my two older sons were 20, mm-hmm. 21, something like that, and um, they had their own, you know, their own work to do, their own stuff, and uh, they didn't want to come to America, so they wanted to flap their wings and do their own thing, so mm-hmm. it was just three of us, my youngest son and my husband, mm-hmm. and uh, we joined a church called the Belmont Church in Nashville, and um, I was introduced to the children's minister of that church at the time, and we became, in a ministerial way, very close. We had a real bond. We thought the same way. And I got a job with them working on the staff, uh, children's ministry staff. Now, there were about 800 children in that church. Oh, wow. And, yeah, it was really big. The mm-hmm. church itself had about, I don't know, 3,500 members mm-hmm. that used to go. One of the most interesting things about that church was that there was no children's music, you know, like per mm. se. There yeah. was music that children would, you know, listen to, um, like Salty, the you know, the mm. singing yeah. hymn book and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and stuff. But the kids in this children's church, they didn't have what I would call suitable music for children because for me, when I write, I write to teach I write very little praise and worship music. Mm-hmm. All my music is to teach godly precepts and concepts and help children to grow closer to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a challenge for me to go to that church to be employed as the creative director of children's ministry and start teaching children through music and being a puppeteer I started teaching the children 
who were interested how to be puppeteers and how to use puppetry as a creative way of, you know, getting a, a message across that was not going to be forgotten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so that was the best, probably the best church that I've ever attended in mm. my life. Uh, Michael W. Smith used to be the music director there. Oh, okay. And John Finto was the pastor at the time, a wonderful, wonderful preacher. Music, love, the noise to lift the rafters. Music, love, the noise to lift the rafters. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scatterbo is once again chatting with children's music entertainer Jenny Flack, who's sharing her life journey and how she became a pioneer in Australia's Christian music scene. We just heard how she came to work in the children's ministry of a large church in Nashville, Tennessee. Next, we'll hear about a time she tried to sing her songs at an inner city outreach in a park and it went over like a lead balloon. All that and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're back with more of Eric Scatterbo chatting with Jenny Flack, who's been entertaining children with her music for over 30 years, both in Australia and in other parts of the world, like the United States. We heard before the break how she came to work in the children's ministry of a large church in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, we'll hear what happened next in her life. We used to work in the projects. Mm. You know, we would have... uh, That was really funny. I I remember uh, the very first time that I was introduced to the project. I was in a car. This is the uh, poor part of town in Nashville, the yeah, project? sort of like the ghetto, ghetto mm-hmm. area. Yep. yep. Yeah. They don't call them the ghettos anymore. They call them the projects, mm-hmm. right? We went into this area because there was a ministry in our church called Isaiah 58. And uh, if you read that chapter, you'll see that it's to do, you know, with supporting the poor and so on. And... We had a huge big bus and we had it all decked out and one end of the bus was a a kitchen and the middle of the bus was for counselling and the front end of the bus was for people to, like passengers and driving. And so on a Saturday we used to drive into the project area and we would set up on a a, a big, um, like a football area sort Mm -hmm. of where the kids could play ball and all that kind of stuff and we would set up there and... Anyway, my job, when we first started this, my job was to write the program that was going to be presented to the families who came along. We had someone who was, uh, you know, going to be the preacher and someone who was, you know, going to do... Well, I, I was the one who had to do the music and I had to work out what the message was going to be and how it was going to be presented and everything... And I thought, oh, well, we'll get a band together. So I got some people that could, you know, play guitars and and everything. And the whole thing went down like a lead balloon. It was just awful. Oh. And my son was with me at the time. This was the first first day, right? And uh, he said, uh, now, at that stage, my son had been going to a drop-in centre that was started by Michael W. Smith. 
called Rocket Town. Mm-hmm. And Nathan had got very involved in DJing. He really enjoyed oh, okay. the DJing, and he yeah. hung out a lot with uh, African American musicians. And anyway, he decided he wanted to become a DJ, which he did. He took out the championship for DJ of Victoria two years in a row. Oh wow! This was back in the early days when he was learning to be a DJ. Mm-hmm. And at the end of this terrible that like they weren't interested in singing they just hung around they got into fights with each other and they were just like totally not interested and I went home and my heart was just oh was in my boots and my son said hey mum don't worry about it mum I'll fix it for you leave the music part of it to me Hmm. okay yeah (laughs) I did, I had no. What could I do? I I, I did, had no I no ideas. Mm-hmm. So the following week we turned up, and my son brought all his gear with him. He brought his big, you know, woofer, you know, <laughs> the, yeah, the speakers, things, all his yeah, yeah to make mm-hmm. loud, loud PA and everything. And he went out onto the oval. He put this music on. This music, <laughs> hip hop stuff, and he started doing hip hop dancing just on his own in oh, the wow. middle of the. Well, it was like I couldn't believe it. They were coming out of the windows and the doors all over the place, yeah. and the kids were just gathering around him. He was like the Pied Piper, <laughs> and here this music is going crazy. And oh, and the one thing that he said to me was, "Mum." He said, one thing I want you to do, I want you to write a rap. Oh. Because I'd written this this uh, special introduction song for, you know, that we were going to sing every week. Yeah. He said, Mum, you can't present it like that. you got to turn it into a rap song. So that week I worked on making it into a rap and he did the loop and everything for it. <laughs> and so he gets out there, does his, you know, hip hop dancing or whatever. They're gathered around him and he hip hops his way across to where we were going to do the family presentation and yeah. everything. And then he says, okay, mum, here's this welcome song. He pushes the button, off it went. And the kids are into it like, you know, <laughs> like chickens in a strawberry patch. It was just incredible. And I learned so much working in the projects. Wow. And I learned so much about how wealthy I am. So your your son kind of had to teach you how to get with the times at, at that time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he did. He <laughs> totally did. That had yeah. to be very humbling because here you were kind of a success in Australia as a children's entertainer. Yeah. And all of a sudden what you did before wasn't working. Exactly. So your son had to teach you. Oh, yeah, he did. He did. Very humbling, and, huh? And I listened, too. I can tell you that. <laughs> to your so credit, you did, yeah. Yeah. So a special experience with you and your son in Nashville, Tennessee, in the inner city, in the projects. Yes. That's exactly where it was. Yep. And uh, one day, he was um, he made friends with this uh, African-American kid from the projects. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the middle of this sort of little neighborhood, there was a memorial garden and it had a big plaque on it and uh, it was in memory of a young boy who died and they just gave the 
you know, not the details of hows or, or whys, but uh, Nathan was, he's my youngest son, he was talking to this other boy who was around the same age as him, mm-hmm. and he said, he said, who's the kid? Who's, you know, who is this memorial for? And uh, and the African-American boy started to tell him a story that it was a kid in his grade, and uh, he'd been he'd been shot by mm. a member of the of the classroom, mm. and um, what a terrible you know tragedy it was. And Nathan said he you know he started to feel really uncomfortable that he'd even breached the, the you know the conversation. And um, the boy went on to tell him what had happened and that uh, that one of the children had brought his father's gun to school. Another kid saw the gun and said, you can't have a gun at school. Had a, a big argument with him, tried to take the gun away from him and shot him accidentally. Oh, wow. And uh, my son said, oh, my goodness. He said, how do you know all of this? He said, because it was my brother who shot him. Mm. And the projects are full of those kinds of stories. Mm. And to think that you were able to minister to the people in that neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was wonderful. And they loved it. Mm-hmm. Actually, at first, they hated it. They were rude mm. to us. They called us names. We were the goody goodies, and we were trying to make them acceptable. And they would deliberately fight in the middle of the presentation. They'd mm. get into arguments and so on. And uh, anyway, I said to the guy who was actually running that ministry, I said to him, "Please find me an African American preacher speaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't use a white man. Find a black man." And he did. Mm-hmm. And he was great. It was a huge difference to have him, you know. Mm-hmm. And they, they, anyway, they really, really got to love. It was almost like somebody punches you. Oh, you say you love me, right? Punch. Do you love me? Punch. How much do you love me? Punch. And they just keep on doing it and keep on doing it. And we kept on going and mm-hmm. kept on going and kept on going. And then finally there was a chink. And that chink got bigger and bigger and bigger until the kids were waiting for the bus to arrive on those Saturday mornings. And there was one little kid who absolutely adored my son and he couldn't wait for him to get off the bus. And he'd come running up to him every Saturday. He'd jump into my son's arms. You're my daddy, Nathan. You're my daddy. Mm. The fact that he could only be the boy's daddy once a week mm. for a couple of hours. Wow. But so obviously he was connecting. Oh, yeah, very much. And uh, the bus used to feed them as well. And uh, they brought another, they had another, oh, it wasn't a bus, it was like a, a big van. And the van was full of secondhand clothes and they were allowed to go and pick whatever they wanted. You know, if they needed clothes, they could go and just help themselves. Yeah. They didn't have to pay any money or anything. But music was, you know, that became quite a a big part, but not in the way that I had been using music in mm-hmm. the past. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So once again, a very gratifying and fulfilling experience. 
doing music ministry. Oh, yeah. Yes, very much so. Did you yeah. ever think you were going to get into rap music? <laughs> I didn't <laughs> think that was your genre. <laughs> no, <laughs> totally not my genre. But it had to become my genre at that time. Yeah. Because you've got to be a Roman under the Romans. <laughs> yeah, I have to make adjustments. And, uh, Exactly. Said uh, singing the kind of songs, you know, I was putting on my on my albums and everything. It was certainly not suitable for yeah. that particular bunch of people. Yeah. So the music that you had been doing wasn't going to work there in the inner city in the project. No, not no, yeah. not yeah. really. Had to yeah. make some adjustments. Thank goodness yeah. for your son making you a bit more hip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, how long I never were recorded you? any of it either, you know. Oh, okay. So the people who were there are the only ones that know about your hip period. Yeah. <laughs> your hip rap period. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So how long were you in the United States? Five years. Five years, okay. And then came back to Australia? Uh, yes, I came back to Australia. And then uh, you kind of enter into a very dark period in your life, and you kind of were off the scene musically for a long time. Mm, yeah, that's right. Well, the dark period actually began in America. Was that right? Okay. Yeah, and that's why I came home. Child, go and stand in the rain. Feel my tears on your face. Feel my breath in the wind. Smell the fragrance of my love in the earth after rain. Open your eyes, open your eyes. Well, that was part two of Eric Scatterbo's conversation with Christian children's entertainer, Jenny Flack, who's sharing her life journey. As we just heard, she and her son took part in some wonderful ministry to the poor people of the inner city of Nashville, Tennessee, back in the 1990s. She mentioned that the name of the ministry to the inner city children was called Isaiah 58, after the book of the Bible that talks about helping the poor amongst us. It says, Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out in the darkness, and the darkness around you will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Some wonderful promises in the Bible for all those who help people in need. Well, we invite you to join us again next time for the conclusion of Jenny sharing her story. And unfortunately, as we heard at the end, her life sadly takes a dark turn with the breakup of her marriage. Jenny will openly share about this dark period of her life when she went missing from the Christian music scene for several years. So once again, we invite you to join us next time for part three of Jenny Flack's story. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. It was the biggest kick in the gut for me spiritually. I tried prayer and fasting and, you know, like I just, I believed that the marriage would come good, that we would have a story to tell, but it didn't happen. I ended up in a psychiatric hospital and I was very, very sick for a very long time. Jenny Flack had been entertaining children with her Christian music for several years when suddenly she felt like the rug had been pulled out from underneath her. The breakup of her marriage sent her life spiralling out of control. Jenny Flack will share more of her story next time. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. 
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 